0: Knoxville Game Design, April 2019, Music
1: for Game Developers, with Dylan and Levi. Welcome everyone to Knoxville Game Design for April 2019. We are game developers in the Knoxville and East Tennessee area. We get together once a month to talk about our game projects and topics in the games industry. Uh, currently, this month, uh, we have two people in the meeting. Uh, we have Dylan Wolf. Hello. And he's in Lenore City, and developer of games such as Shifty Shapes and Retro Feature. I'm Levi Smith. I'm in Knoxville, or I'm in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And you may know some of my games like Kitty's Adventure and TTY GFX Adventure. Uh, So, this month we'll start out, uh, I'll I'll go ahead and start out with a little bit of news. Uh, Let me share out my screen, share screen, share. Uh, So, I heard this news a little while, a few weeks ago, that Unity is finally getting uh, uh, visual scripting, it looks similar to Blueprints in Unreal Engine I don't know if uh, what all the details are and everything but I think it's supposed to be out in uh, unity 2019.2 so it hasn't been released yet so in an upcoming release so if you aren't if you don't want to get into the full C-sharp or JavaScript coding this may make unity a little bit more accessible to new developers so you don't have to write code and everything and also, this month, we have GM48 coming up. And it's actually starting next weekend. Let's see here. Uh, it starts April 20th and goes to the 22nd, uh, Friday through Sunday. Uh, I think they're still voting on themes. I haven't talked with Joe Miller, so uh, he may, I'm not sure if he's participating in this this time. But this will be, I believe, the week before Ludum Dare because that's coming up at the end of the month, and yeah, I didn't bring that up, but we will be doing a get-together at Panera Bread on April 26th, and actually go to our Facebook group, and there's actually an event page where you can actually sign up if you want to let us know that you're coming, but yeah, Ludum Dare, uh, if you don't know, is a... Worldwide game development game jam competition. There's two different versions. There's the 48 hour jam and the or 48 hour compo, which is where you work by yourself. You create all the assets and everything by yourself. And then there's a jam version, which is 72 hours. You have until Monday to turn your game in, and you can work on in teams and use pre-existing assets in that. So, uh, yeah. So the Friday before, uh, before the theme announcement, we'll we'll be getting together at Panera Bread on North Peters Road. We'll start around 7 p.m. and the theme announcement uh, happens at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So usually we hang out for a few minutes after and talk about our thoughts about it uh yeah and also want to let people know that you don't have to do the game jam to come and and hang out with us so if you just want to come out and hang out
0: for a couple hours and talk about game development and things like that everybody. yeah I'll, I'll show up but i've got something else going on that weekend so i'm probably not gonna do it oh okay that's
1: fine yeah that, that'd be cool if you come out and show up and i know i uh, think uh, joe miller will probably be there too uh, and we'll see who else shows up. Okay, back to news.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Dylan, did you go to Code Stock this weekend? No, I, I've been busy, and I did not think to get tickets in time. Yeah, um,
1: I didn't I, either. But I did see that Mike uh, Neil, Neil. Uh, our good friend Mike Neil, Neil. Uh, actually. I don't know if he was there. <laughs>
0: So I think what what I saw him say later on Twitter is this was related to Code Tn. Okay. I think I, I don't remember what the website is. Um, I guess I can look that up. Code Tn. Yeah, let's let's plug his stuff. But yeah, he made a Retro
1: Pi, like console uh, looks a lot better than the one that I made. I actually have another uh Raspberry Pi three um that I yeah I think it
0: I think it's code tn dot org it, It's something he was doing with students okay. is where I was going
1: Code dot org bring that up here. yeah, so it's cool to see that he's still developing stuff and yeah supposedly it plays. Pico 8 games, I think. Um, Yeah, so it looks like he's still working with students, teaching game development and making things. And yeah, I don't know all the details. I'll have to look more into this code TN. Looks like they have an events page right here. Um, No events, volunteer, competition classroom time take but anyway yeah he, he made a really cool retro pie you can see the screen here and it looks like he has speakers and the uh joysticks and buttons and everything so yeah looks very cool yeah i wish i had went because it looks like this was at 7 p.m so it looks like he kind of did it outside of the official code stock um not as a panel or anything But, uh, yeah, it seems like he had another picture of it. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Yeah, right there. Yeah, so it looks like a good way to, like, learn programming and teach how to build things and things like that. Okay, so another thing that happened earlier this month, beginning of the month, there was a talk at the Cedar Hill public library that I mentioned on last month's uh, meeting. And this was by Amos Gardner and, or Gardner, and then there was a, then a step was there too, but Amos was the one that did the talk. But he did, uh, similar to what you did, Dylan, he did a intro to game development talk, and he was using Unity. The difference with his talk was it was more like, if you aren't familiar with game development at all, you've never coded anything in your entire life. This was more targeted toward those sort of people. He went through the basic steps like, you know, here's, you need to add music and you need to get your things moving and here's some AI concepts and things like that. He did a little bit of code at the end just to show that there was code behind there, but uh, Dylan, your talk was more, as like, okay, here are the actual steps of, uh, of creating a Space shooter. Now, he did Pong here, but uh, he really didn't go into the depths and detail of code, uh, but yeah, you can get hit the, uh, the executable. I don't know if he put the source code for his game uh, on here or not, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty good talk. I'm just glad to see other people here in Knoxville are also still doing game development. I know Amos joined a couple of our meetings about a year ago. Haven't seen him in quite a while, but uh, good to see he's still doing it. I tried to go to his website. For some reason, it seemed to be down at the time. See if I can. Yeah, a Gamer Studios is his. uh, It's like his name of his. Uh, game development and yeah I don't know why. It seems like when he was showing this off he actually had his website up but yeah, go out and check uh, Amos's stuff out. He has a few games on itch.io agamerstudios.itch.io I know he was doing a Kickstarter at one time uh, but it looks like he might have been still doing a couple more games since then Okay, um, so Dylan, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier, uh, I know uh, you'd mentioned that you're, you'll be going to MomoCon this year? Yeah. And you may be doing a talk this year?
0: Yes, I'm doing it, essentially the same talk I did on on here in January, uh, the Joy of Game Development, which is that, that intro to Unity, kind of starting from scratch talk.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's a huge conference down there. What They have like 30 or 40,000 people usually show up. I don't yeah. remember the numbers. Yeah, it's crazy. But, yeah, uh, I, I probably won't go this year, but I know they used to have a lot of game development talks and things like that and game competitions and things like that. Uh, so you haven't been working on any games or anything like that. I know you've been doing the uh, – you were doing the uh, ink, ink, the, March, October ink, and March of robots. yeah, March of Robots. <laughs>
0: yeah, like if you go, and I, I want to say it's, I want to say it was a page on like uh, NanoRimo or something of of like different monthly creative challenges where you get a set of prompts. Mm-hmm. Um, I started doing that because I I, I like doing the one I did in in uh, November or October, and then I just gave up because I'm like. I'm robots are not my thing. Yeah,
1: that's very hard to do a unique uh, drawing or ink work every day for a month.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's very much like doing game jams. Anything like that where you've got this prompt you have to not only figure out a way to do something interesting with the prompt, but also scope it down so you don't burn yourself out. Which yeah. is kind of what I did. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked their, all the artwork that you did there. And I've always wanted to do in a game jam uh, where I do hand drawn art and, yeah. and scan it in. But I'm like, wow, that. Because just to do, like, a basic walk animation, you're going to be doing at least three images, and then to, have to scan all that in and do it within 48 hours. <laughs> that's gonna yeah,
0: be- even, if you, even if you didn't do it for a game jam, that would be kind of tedious, because I feel like the people who know how to do animation, like, the skill you're learning is precision so that all those frames fit together. If I tried to do animation, that's going to look disjointed and weird because you know i'm not doing everything at the same proportion and you know it's not reproducible it's not precise
1: yeah i'll work with the guy who's really into animation and like anime and things like that and i remember i went to one of his presentation years i think it was at pelican like back in 2012 yeah. and he said like major art studios they will like do it's kind of like uh keyframes that I do in animation for three d model and they'll do like a, a pristine frame like two or three pristine frames, and then they ship all the work to do the in between frames
0: out to some art form somewhere, yeah, which I mean I guess is a lot like um you know big large size game development where you know being able to you have a whole bunch of people who are able to execute on this plan, not necessarily a bunch of people who are doing, you know, vertically everything soup to nuts.
1: Yeah. Very cool. So let me share up the screen. So MomoCon is coming up on May 23rd to 26th in
0: downtown Atlanta. Memorial Day weekend now.
1: Oh, okay. seems like there's so many things that land on the same weekend, like that last, uh, uh, weekend april we have litem dare then i think they got the vector conference in kentucky that i've always wanted to go to but it's, it's like it's on a bad
0: weekend yeah i feel like there are seasons to this sort of thing and we're hitting you know one of the the start of one of those seasons
1: yeah like the speaker conference season yeah Okay, so I so yeah, check out Dylan's site. We were talking a little bit earlier. You did a a article on Unity navigation, which we may talk more about on a future meeting, maybe.
0: Yeah, it's mostly you know building building navigation for controls, like using a controller, because that's something I didn't really. You know, like I haven't really looked at it until I started messing around with doing a side scroller, and then I really wanted that that experience to be good. I, I feel like we've talked about that before. I can't remember. Yeah, we did Unity
1: UI text. Uh, we might have done something similar. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah. I mean, you never do realize when you're actually developing a user interface, like if you got to uh, consider all the different input types, like a mouse button or a mouse click and a mouse scroll. Then if you're working with a controller, the navigation for a controller is going to be different than yeah. a mouse and different than the keyboard.
0: <laughs> Unity's actually pretty smart about it, where, like, in that picture, if you see those arrows, mm-hmm. essentially each each element has an up, down, left, and right connector. Okay. And Unity obviously just uses your X and Y coordinates to pre-populate those so for most things it's good but if you want to really like fine-tune that experience then you you can set those explicitly oh okay and that's that's essentially what like most of that article boils down to
1: very cool yeah everybody can go and check out uh, the unity navigation tricks on dylanwolf.com so i've been working on a domino game this this isn't a part of any jam or anything It's like eh, i just haven't played dominoes in forever and i kind of wanted to i never did learn all the fine-tune rules and all the nitty-gritty details so i kind of made a little domino game in unity 3d all 3d models and everything and one thing i wanted to do is like add a whole bunch of options so you can have multiple players and multiple points to win You can select your color or have a totally ran- randomly AI-generated game. And, uh, yeah, and different styles of dominoes. So, uh, and check that out. I currently have that on Itch.io. I don't have it on GameJolt yet. also have a um, video. Uh, if you want to hear me talk about it a little bit more in depth, go to LeviDSmith.com forward slash domino dash game. And you can find all the links and everything for that. Uh, also started working, and another game that I haven't played in forever is Yahtzee. I found out that there's like a non-trademark version of Yahtzee called Yahtzee. So I was like, okay, if you make a Yahtzee game, but if you make Yahtzee, then Parker Brothers or Milton Bradley or somebody will, might, <laughs> might yell at you. But um, the one trick about this is uh, well, a quick Unity trick Is if you're simulating or trying to program a dice throw, a real 3D die uh, in Unity, I spent a couple hours on getting this right. But uh, you can add an angular velocity, like in two directions, to get the spin going. But my dice would never, like, really spin like a real dice would. Uh, So what the trick is is there's a property, and I don't know. Did I put it right here? Yeah, it's called Max Angular Velocity, and that has a default of 7. And this is not in the Unity Inspector, so you actually have to programmatically set that to a higher value, like 20 or 50 or something like that, then it will start spinning naturally. Maybe once I get this game looking a little bit better, I'll show that off next month. Okay, so the topic for this month is music for game developers. So this is basically just going to be a little bit of the uh, math and science behind music theory. Get into a little history and background just so you know what's going on when you do compose uh, music in uh, in a program. Uh, I'll talk about some of the music generation tools that you can use and also how to actually take, once you have your music resources generated, how you can add those to your game. And a few like tips that I have uh, for composing music. So this is the stuff that a lot, I don't even know if they teach this in school anymore or not, but this is the stuff that you learn usually Early on, I don't know if it's elementary school or middle school or what, but the basic pitches of notes, pitches is what makes the notes sound low or high. Typically, these are called uh, letters from like C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, like in a C scale. Or like if you're a fan of the sound of music, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So, La, Ti. It's kind of all the same. It's a a major uh, scale there. And then, so you have these scales, but you also have different octaves. So you can have that same, those same pitches at a higher uh, level or a higher pitch. Uh, so these pitches are represented by notes, and a note has a length. And so these notes are represented by these different uh, symbols or notes here. You have the whole note, and everything that I'll be talking about here is usually in 4-4 time. I definitely recommend staying on 4, or the the bottom number is 4, which means that the quarter note gets to beat. So when quarter note gets to beat, a whole note is just like this O symbol, no stem or anything. It gets 4 beats. Uh, A half note gets 2 beats, so it's also like an open O with a line sticking up. Uh, Quarter note is a filled circle with a line sticking up. It gets 1 beat. Uh, and an eighth note has like a little stem hanging off and that gets half a beat and 16th note has two stems hanging off and this kind of follows the same pattern of uh, uh, the powers of two that I've talked about in the previous month, Uh, two, four, eight, 16, you go to 32. There is a way to get like three beats and it's like a little small dot next to the note. <clears throat> so you can put a half note with a little small dot next to it, and that'll give you three beats, or uh, a beat and a half would be a quarter note with a dot. <clears throat> so that's kind of like what I'm talking about right here. And the length of the note, so I'm talking about beats here. So a beat, length of a beat, uh, really depends on the tempo of the music. So if your tempo is 60, that means there's 60 beats in a minute, which means each... Uh, beat gets one second one quarter note equals one second so 60 beats a minute is a good starting place you can actually go higher and speed that up if you want your music to be a little bit faster or slow it down make it go slower and these beats these notes are grouped together in what's called a meter Uh, that's what that top number and that time signature represents Uh, typically four four time is very common common Uh, the top number means there's four notes in a meter and in music class you're taught to stress the first note It makes it sound a little bit more musically appealing but a lot of times you'll find out if you're using an electronic music generation program every beat sound or every note sounds the same the first note is not stressed so it's just something to look out for some of the common times are 4-4, four, four, as I mentioned. 3-4 uh, is waltz time, 1-2-3, 1-2-3, 1-2-3. 2-4 is march time, 1-2, 1-2, 1-2. And then there's also a 2-2 two, two time, which is where the uh, eighth note gets to be. Now, I, I stay away from it two two time or anything with the number that's different than four on the bottom. And also you'll hear four four time referred to as common time, so instead of seeing this big four over four, sometimes you'll just see a, a C right there. So there are various scales. Um, a good, the way I learn the different scales, like a, there's a or actually different ways to write the notes on your meter there. Uh, one way is called the bass clef method. It looks like this little backward C with two dots. Sometimes it's called the F clef because there's two dots next to it, and those two dots, it has the note F going through it, the line for F going through it. And these are typically your lower-toned instruments, like the trombone, baritone, and tuba. Treble cleft is the higher-pitched instruments like the trumpet, saxophone, clarinet, and flute. Uh, and the good way to remember the notes uh, in the empty spaces between the lines in the bass cleft A-C-E-G from bottom to top uh, the mnemonic is all cows eat grass and then on the treble cleft going from bottom to top it's F-A-C-E those are the notes going from bottom to top so in each octave there's 12 different tones and they call these half tones I think that's kind of a bad name. I would call them steps because uh, it's really the same distance between each note, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. So basically, you have—I uh, don't—I won't read them all out here, but every note you have a either a flat or a sharp, and basically, like a B flat is the same thing as an A sharp. So it's just two different ways of. Um, signifying the same note so either call them flats or sharps they're the same thing but you have 12 of these notes going from a or a to a um, in 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 one of the octaves Uh, but be aware there's no C flat also known as B would be a B sharp or no F flat or E sharp so there's those two are missing Uh, That's why if you look at a piano, there's not a black key between every single note, because it's missing those two sharps. Uh, A scale is a subset of those 12 tones in an octave, and the way you can remember how the scale goes, it's whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half. Uh, so you can start at any one of these notes. Let's say B-flat's very common. I'll start at B-flat right here. So a whole, a whole step is two, uh, like steps, or two jumps. And a half, half step is one jump. So we start B-flat, so we're gonna go whole to C, whole to D, then half to E-flat, then whole to F, whole to G, then we're going to wrap around, uh, then go another two whole to A, then a half to B flat. And a lot of music is written in this major scale. Uh, It sounds musically very appealing to the ear and things like that. There's also concept of a minor scale and it's whole half, whole, whole, half, whole, whole. And typically you'll hear this in music that intends to get a sense of like sadness or uh, like Halloween music, spooky music, just things that give you a creepy feeling. But the the scale that a lot of people use is a C major scale. That way in the C scale, there's no flats. You just stay on the white keys. Uh, So one tip that I have a little bit later is to always just stay on scale. Here's a representation of the notes, so you can see here CDEFGA, and this is in that Bosca soil program that I'll talk about in a little bit. But you can see this whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half relationship in this major scale right here. So th- this is how the notes are represented on some of the instruments. Here's a keyboard right here. And as I mentioned, the sharps and flats are on the black keys. So you can play the C scale all on the white keys. On a guitar, gets a little bit more complicated. You actually have to know where the sharps or the different notes are. On the strings, but typically they go sequentially up uh, the scale right here. It actually, goes through each half step is one fret. I think fret is like the distance between or these uh, metal things that stick up here are, which is how you play the different notes. Here's a harmonica. You can get two notes out of each of uh, of the holes. You, know, you get one note by blowing in. And one note by uh, breathing out. And my other instrument that I play is trombone. It has seven different positions. And each position is represented by a tone. Uh, The way way that I learned how to play is like, well, the first position is all the way in. Second position is halfway between the bell and all the way in. Third position is at the bell. Fourth position is a little bit ways out fifth typically didn't use that very much six is like an arm's length and seventh was like hey we can't ever reach seventh because it's so far out so okay i'm gonna do a live demo here (laughs) and stop sharing and so got my guitar over here don't know how well this will come through. So here's... not coming through too loud, but basically your C is right here. There it goes. C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. And here's the harmonica right here. So you basically have the different holes I was mentioning here. So you start on the fourth one. So went from C to C. The last two notes you got to go differently. You blow in and blow out. And here's the trombone. Uh, Typically we never played the C scale. We usually did a B flat, but uh, start out with a C yeah so that's just a demonstration of the different notes on the different instruments and go back to screen share 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 so I typically stay on the C scale when composing music. Uh, There are other scales, and the meaning of the scales are really subjective. Uh, B-flat, there's a really cool site out there. Um, It's called Hook Theory, and you can look up a lot of different video game music, and typically will tell you the key, the scale that it uses. So for like Legend of Zelda, It will tell you actually what key it's in. I think you can actually change the key as well. But uh, B-flat, I think it's like Majestic. Uh, It's the first one that we learn in uh, Band. There's reasons for that. But like the Final Fantasy Prelude, things like that. Uh, E-flat is supposed to be like a little bit more cheerful, like a victory theme in Final Fantasy. And, uh, and C is like things like Super Mario and Super Mario 2. Uh, the minor scale, like I mentioned earlier, sounds a little bit more creepier or makes you feel a little bit unsettled. So a lot of the battle themes in RPGs, uh, like the Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy VI battle themes are in A minor. And that's just by going to this website, right? this uh, hook theory, and I just like type in Final Fantasy Battle. It's a little bit slow, and typically it will like come up. I don't see it here, but you can like click any of these, and it will find that that music and can give you the notes. So if you want to take this and like play it yourself, it's a good way to get kind of like sheet music for all these songs and things like that. Like here's one in C minor, "The Dancing Mad" from Final Fantasy VI. Um, Let's see if I can play that. Oh. You can either play it through uh, the MIDI piano, or you can play it through YouTube, like the YouTube video for it. Um, I'll go ahead and mention right now. So there's the concert pitch, which is uh, matches the actual frequencies of the notes. There's also a thing called transposing instruments, like the trumpet and I believe clarinet, which are like actually tuned in B flat. So what may be like a B flat um, on the concert pitch is actually a C on the trumpet, which is really confusing. But uh, just wanted to mention that, just in case you pick up a trumpet, you play a C, it doesn't sound like a C, that's why it is. It's a transposing instrument. And i got links. Uh, One other good site is this Emotions of Musical Keys. I just found this website. And it will actually give, like in one person's opinion, what the different uh, scales, major scales, major and minor scales give a feeling of. Like F, deep depression. I mean, this is all really subjective. F sharp, triumph over difficulty, I'm sure... You ask 10 people, they'll give you 10 different opinions on what these scales mean to them. Key of the grave for A-flat, A-minor, grumbler, heart-squeezed. So, yeah, it's kind of just fun to look at and what somebody thought about the different different scales. So, yeah, getting into a little bit deeper. And I I just did this for my own information because I really never understood... What made a note or a a pitch of a note the actual pitch? So, of course, uh, you may learn in science class in in high school, sound is created by airwaves. So if you go out in space where there's no air, you won't hear any sound. But here on Earth, we breathe air. Air isn't just for breathing, it's also for hearing sounds. There's two different types of sound or different waves. I think one's called like a transition. I forgot what the first one's called. Uh, the one that sound is based on is called longitudinal waves. And that's basically the compression of the air molecules. How quickly those air molecules are getting compressed and decompressed. So basically all current music is based on this uh, fifth A. A and the fifth optic octave and that is set to 440 hertz it's being compressed 440 times in a second if you're really really interested in how to get a little bit deeper into this how the actual sound is generated by a speaker you can look into faraday's law and so basically in a speaker there is a little magnet magnetic coil a couple of magnets in there and electrical current gets sent through there and that i think that causes um these parts to start shaking and oscillating which makes the vibrations which make sound but there's a lot of videos out there, or a few videos. You just type in Faraday's law or speakers into like YouTube or whatever your favorite video hosting website is, and you can find out a lot more, better explained uh, videos on that. So basically, sound can uh, appear in different ways. Uh, the first way is a sine wave, and this is very similar to what I would, the presentation last month. Uh, basically, just goes up and down, up and down, and up and down, in a uh, kind of like a parabola fashion right there. So, at four, if for an A, uh, it's going, you're going to see 440 of these peaks in a second. And let's see, got audacity right here. You can actually generate these. I think I'm just going to open. I think I have this open. Because if I, you generate this by default, you can go up to generate right here, and you can generate a tone, and you just put in 440 right there. And amplitude, that means how high those waves are going to go up and down. I think the higher it gets, the louder it's going to be. So I put this kind of an, at a low value. It probably still could be a little bit loud, so hold your ears. So yeah, it kind of sounds like the testing frequency on a TV. That's a sound wave.
0: I don't think it's picking up in Google Hangouts because I don't hear. Oh, you didn't hear, hear when you do that. Oh
1: no. no? Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm not sure. Uh, so I'll. I'll just explain it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. It, it's okay. Um. I don't know how to loop this back through. Okay. File. Open. Uh. Let's go to the square wave. And play this. <laughs> that's the square wave file open and then a sawtooth wave sounds like this okay so yeah i'll I'll post all of these on the website if that didn't come through um but just be aware uh, the whole point of this is that you have these different forms of waves, but they all make the same pitch. It's all based on how many of these peaks you have in a second. Okay, so frequency, how do, how do you make these different notes? So the notes, um, those 12 tones in an octave, are basically derived by multiplying your current note by two, the square the 12th root of 2 which if you if everyone watched the last video you can write the tw- uh, the 12th root of 2 or any root of a number by that number to the 1 over that power the root power so the 12th root of 2 is 2 to the 1 over 12 so basically if you will, if you're at a and you want to go to uh, a sharp you take 440, multiply it by 2 to the 1 over 12, and that will get you A sharp. You do that again, that will get you B. To move up a whole tone like to go to A and B, go up two steps, you can also go by the 6th root of 12, so that would be whatever note you're at, that frequency, times 2 to the 1 over 6. So yeah, I have it right here, going A to C, That'd be A to B flat to B to C. That's three half tones, three steps. So you take 440, multiply that by two to the, and you take the number of steps, which is three over 12. So 440 times two to the three over 12 is 523.25 hertz. Um, you can, I actually made a spreadsheet, which I'll post up. You can actually. Uh, Calculate all the notes, and you can put in the steps right here. Uh, a 2 is a whole step, and a 1 is a half step. And the formula is the previous frequency <clears throat> times 2 to the whatever that frequency is over 12. So you can easily derive all of the frequencies of the notes. And you can see right here, A is set at 440. Uh, another thing to uh, take note of, no pun intended, <laughs> is if you go from a in one octave to a in the next octave all you do is multiply by two that would be two to the twelve over twelve which is two to the one which is two so two 440 times two is 880 so if you want to go up an octave you just multiply by two actually yeah so if you start out at A4, that's, if, if you want to go down an octave, you divide by two. So if you're at A4, you want to go down an octave, divide by two. So A in the third octave is 220 hertz. And you also do the same thing for the C scale as well. Okay, so one of the things I've always wanted to do is just like record my voice and see what the waveform looks like. And I was very surprised with what, what happened when I did this. So if I just did like an aw sound and and see like aw, then you get this jagged I can make this bigger. Oh no. (laughs) I'm gonna have to go find it. I I always gotta remember to shift F5. So yeah, you get this jagged pattern. But you start noticing the same pattern over and over again. And that is actually what the uh, the peak to peak is. So you can basically take the highest point right here. You can see it goes down a little bit and up. And then it dips really far down. Then it comes up a little bit. Then it comes back up here. So that's like one period right there. And you can see the same repeating pattern. It's kind of hard to recognize at first. But you start seeing these. These common things like this big dip right here, you can actually measure from these dips right here, and it'll give you the same answer. So, in Audacity, by default, it shows like the distance between these two peaks in seconds. But we need a little bit more fine-tuned uh, measurement because seconds it'll just say point like oh oh three or something like that. And but if you go a little bit further, it'll still say. 0.03. To get the actual, to get a more fine-tuned value, we can look at the number of samples, and you just click this down arrow in Audacity, and that will tell you how many samples, like how many times it's like sampled this waveform uh, uh, in this project, in this recording. So you click from there to there, highlight that, and it'll tell you it's 169 samples. Well. That doesn't do us any good. Well, how do we figure out the pitch from that? Well, if you look at the project, this project's set to 44,100 hertz, or 44.1 kilohertz, which is kind of uh, pretty standard in in, uh, audio recordings on computers. So what we can do is take the number of samples, divide it by 44... 1100 and that will tell us how long that is a more precise value of how long that is in seconds so yeah we divide 169 by 44 100 uh, and that gives us point zero zero three eight three two. so that's the length of that waveform that period in seconds so to get the hertz we just divide that or take one and divide that by uh, that time in seconds that will give us the frequency. So, when I was doing this "aw" sound, it turned out to be 260.95 hertz. And if we look at the notes right here, a C is 261, so I was just a little bit under this C4 right here. A B is 246, and a C sharp is 277. What I found really interesting is if I did an ooh sound. Uh, like ooh, when I recorded that, it was like a perfect sine wave. There's like a little bit of distortions in here, but I was really surprised how perfect of a sine wave that was. I measured that, found that there's 167 samples, divided that out by 44,100, and got 0.003787 seconds put one over that and got 264.07 which a little bit higher than c4 and this c in the fourth octave is also known as middle c okay and talking about my instruments from earlier i did a recording on the trombone and it gave another interesting waveform kind of goes up and it dips down really low and then it kind of comes back up and down before it it's this like middle zero line, then it kind of keeps wobbling up and coming all the way back up so if you measure that there's hundred and sixty five samples between peaks uh do one sixty five by forty four one hundred and you get a frequency of two hundred and sixty seven point two seven so that was a little bit high like a trombone you have the the uh The tuner bar in the back, you can pull that out a little bit if you need it to be a little bit flatter, so that could help with the pitch. The harmonica had a really jagged waveform right here, but you could still see the repeating pattern right here, and it came out to be 167 samples, which turned out to be a frequency of 267.07 hertz. That was a little bit high. Um, I'll also mention one reason for the jaggedness may have been the air sound. So it might have been getting a little bit of that airy sound in the background, too. And then on the guitar, it had a really interesting waveform. So it it went up circular, then it dipped down, then it kind of jutted back up, and then it went down again, and then you can, it had the circular pattern again. So if you go from peak to peak, it's 169, which turned out to be two sixty point nine five hertz, which was pretty close to middle C right there, just a tad bit lower. Uh, yeah, I was kind of looking up things about hearing range. Humans can hear anywhere from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. Uh, different animals can hear in different ranges. For instance, cats can hear. Uh, they can't hear as low as humans. They can hear from 55 hertz, but they can hear a lot higher. They can hear all the way up to 79,000, almost 80,000 hertz. And dogs Their hearing range is a little bit narrower from 67 hertz to 45,000 hertz. I did a personal test just generating tones in Audacity and seeing what I could hear, and I could hear all the way down to 21 hertz. Uh, It was very faint, but I could hear it. Uh, I've read some things online. Some people say that, well, maybe your computer speaker can't generate all tones, so that could have something to do with it too. Uh, At 40 hertz, there was like physical shaking from my speakers. Uh, Then I went all the way up to 10,000 is very, very high, unpleasant to the ears. And 15,000 hertz was my last noticeable noticeable sound that I could hear. I know they say as you get older, your hearing range decreases. So I may not be able to hear higher sounds than 15,000. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think we've all done like the the hearing test at the doctor's office. So that's a much better way to figure out. I wouldn't do it through audacity like I did. <laughs> that's not a very medical, not medically approved way of of a hearing test. But yeah, I know they've done that like on my driver's test and things like that. Test your test your hearing just to make sure that you can. You're not deaf when you're driving a car or anything. Oh, my screen sharing's... Oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, I turned it off for a second, and then I tried to share again, and now oh. it looks like I'm crashing. I have too much stuff going. <laughs> oh, no. Let me close. I'll be right back. I'm going to close Chrome here and restart.
0: If I can. Close per Okay, I'm back. Let's see if I'm sure now. All right.
1: Yeah, it's just like the whole thing froze up, and I got so much stuff running now.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, back to presentation. We've got to remember to do Shift-F5. Okay. Okay, so one good, so I'll talk a little bit now about the different tools, computer tools you can use to create music. Uh, the first one that's kind of popular, like one of the first ones I used uh, is called PX Tone. Sometimes it's called PX Tone Collage. One issue about this one is like, well, it's d- developed by a Japanese developer. So the whole website is in Japanese. I'll put links to it on the website in the show notes. Uh, so basically, you just got to look for the download link. Uh, P- yeah. So that says P, P, Tone, Collage Karaju and Collage Downloads, just, just click on that. And then if you just start it up like that, then it's still going to like have a bunch of weird characters because if you don't have Japanese installed on your system. So there's actually a file in here called For English Text. The only thing that says in this file is to delete the Japanese.ico file for English menus. So you just go in there, delete the Japanese.ico file, and then you'll get English menus. Um, so, yeah, basically just run ptcollage.exe. It's a little bit different. Uh, you have to, like, add a voice. It calls the different uh, instruments' voices. Then you add a unit. I can't remember what a unit is, but I just know you got to add it. And then you can use your keyboard to write notes. Use left-click to drag to make a note. Use right-click to delete notes uh you can ex- export your sound you can only export your audio in wave wav windows format um, but you can convert your WAV file to mp3 or AUG in audacity i think there's one step in audacity if you you have to download like this mp3 uh, add-on it's not really an add-on it's just like a file you got to install So if you've never used Audacity before and you want to export to MP3, there's maybe one additional step in there. One thing I like about PX Tone is that the flats and sharps are different colors. So if you just want to stay on the C scale, you just use the white white keys. Um, And the keys keyboard on the side is helpful. They don't have the individual notes listed, but uh, you can figure it out by going up the scale. Let's see. Oops. Close that. Make sure I'm still recording. Uh, so here's PX Tone Collage right here. I already have a song loaded up. I didn't marry. Had a little lamb and just press play. I don't know why it's not showing where it is. Yeah, I thought it had like some little thing that showed where you're at. But so basically, here's your voices. You press the plus sign. You got all these different beeps and drums that comes with it. <clears throat> and I think there's another folder, maybe this one. So there's a lot of different instruments that you can use. You just go into unit, you press add, and you pick the voice that you just added. You give it a name like new new instrument. You get in your keyboard right here, and just start dragging these notes out. I was still playing the old one too. <laughs> okay, stop. The nice thing about PX Tone is you can actually go in there and create your own instruments. Um so you can use your voice, you can use harmonica, trombone, or whatever just record it, put it in a WAV file. You may want to make sure it's pitched. I don't know what it needs to be pitched to, but uh make sure it's pitched the same way as your music is. Second one is called Bosca I don't know how to pronounce this Bosca sea oil. I don't know if that's French or or what. Another free program uh it's very simple to use, so I highly recommend uh, uh people new to music. This is kind of, has a friendly interface to use. When you start it up, it'll be constantly looping. I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You can just like get in there. Once you start dropping down notes, it'll start playing. The one thing that I had a problem with this was that when you start it up, it will show every single note, all 12 tones, when you really want to stay on a scale. So I figured out how to do that. Um, you have to go into this bottom area right here where it says scale. You click that and you set it to normal. And That will, or no, you, you set it to major. And then that will only show you the notes on the scale that you want to use. Because I, I was typically, I was accustomed to seeing like the sharps on like the black background and the regular keys on the scale on the lighter color ones but this basically just alternates between all of them. Uh one downside is this only has like MIDI style sound effects. I'm not sure I haven't used this one that much so I won't know if you can add your own instruments to this. It may be possible, I just don't know how yet. Um one problem I had there's no undo, copy or paste, which is kind of frustrating. Uh if you press escape, it automatically kicks you out even if you haven't saved, which is kind of annoying. <laughs> Uh, another problem that I have, this is like a really pet peeve of mine, but programs, whenever you save a file or load a file, it doesn't remember your working directory. <laughs> so you have to dig around and find your project files every time in the file structure. Uh, and it can only, as PX Tone, you can only export to Wave. you can also export to old school MIDI files, I believe. Uh, but it's similar to PX Tone. You left click to add a note, right click to delete a note, and your mouse wheel is actually what makes the note longer or shorter. So let me go over here. Here's Bosca Sea Oil right here. So here's the same, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Um, It has a concept of an arrangement. So you can, So you only have like one, two, three, four meters to work with. Then you have to create a new like segment in your arrangement to do more notes. But uh, yeah, can you just uh, see if i can delete and just right click to delete those. And well, I'm going to bucket out a new one. I'll just show like going up and down, add notes like that. And got to go back to file, play that. Uh, yeah, I guess I deleted this whole thing. But to delete notes, you just right click and to make them longer, like if you want a whole note, you just mouse will up and that'll give you four, a four note beat. Okay, so that's Bosca CLOS. And you can also export to Wave or MID right there. You can change the meter size if you want three or two. Like I was saying, I think this program, it plays all the notes stressed the same, so it really doesn't stress the first beat or anything. Um, the one that I have been using for the last few years it's called GarageBand. It's also a free program, but it's only for the Mac. I think it I think it actually comes installed with the Mac. Uh, if not, you can find it in their little app store. Uh, I like it. It has tons of instruments you can use, and each instrument has a lot of different options. Uh, so you can like pick any of these instruments and you can change how those instruments sound. Uh, it has a lot of options for like electronic and dubstep instruments. If you're into that type of music, electronic style music. Another thing that I like about GarageBand, it has generated drum tracks. Um, I've always wondered if this bent the rules of let them dare, let them dare, because you can, it almost sounds like a, a song. You just like, I think I have it on the next slide, uh, you have like these different drummers who can have like different drum sets, but then they have like these different beats and you can just drag this little circle around and click the circle. So you can have either a simple or complex beat, a soft beat or a loud beat. You can pick which parts of the drum set that you want to be used and it will generate a whole drum track for you. So I'm thinking since it's generated kind of like uh, BS BFXR, I guess it's okay uh, since it's not a pre-existing asset. The big uh, thing to look out for with GarageBand that took me a long time to figure out, you have to hold the command key plus left click to add notes. So here's like where the notes are right here. You gotta hold command while you press uh, the left mouse key. Uh, otherwise, it's just going to click around. You're not going to add a note. Uh, there's a couple of different options. There's also a piano roll, and this is more of your traditional note scores. I found this kind of difficult to use, uh, adding no- notes this way. Uh, then you have also have the uh, old, the I don't know, more traditional I guess option of pressing the red record key. And then you can use this musical typing to actually play the notes. But I only recommend that for like expert music musicians because I find it much easier just adding quarter notes and half notes using this method right here and not having to play the piece in real time. Um, when you start GarageBand, there'll be a metronome that, that'll click to try to keep you on beat. Uh, I recommend turning that off if you're not using it because if you leave it on and you export your music track, then it will include that metronome uh, in, in, your, in your audio file, uh, which has happened to me before. Uh, so in GarageBand, you can export your song to either MP3 directly or a WAV file. You just go to share, then export song to disk. The one annoying thing about GarageBand, since it is only on the Mac, and I typically do uh, game development on Windows, is getting that MP3 file over to my Windows machine. There's a few different options for doing that. There's something called the SMB protocol. I thought it was for Samba, but it actually stands for something else, which I don't remember. But uh, you can use that to kind of set up a share on your Windows desktop, and if you're on the same network can connect directly, using you know, the Mac and transfer it that way. You can always use like an old thumb drive. However, I don't think my new Mac has a USB port. I think I have an adapter, so you can always plug in the thumb drive or you can use a file hosting share service like Dropbox or Google Drive. You can copy up your file up that way then pull it down on your Windows machine on the other side. So I have a sound file. Of GarageBand. Yeah, I thought about doing um, a live demo of GarageBand, but that would require me to have a Mac and Windows up and running at the same time, which I really didn't want to get into. Uh, So I'll just play. and find it real quick. ELD Smith Projects. No presentations. Music for game dev. So I have uh, Little Lamb Garage Band. So you can really hear that drum beat in the back that adds a lot, and the music, the notes are stressed and things like that. Okay, so here's some of my personal tips uh, for music generation. Stay on scale. Pick a scale and stay with it. Um, When you're constructing a melody, a sequence of notes and tones, typically you're either stepping up a tone or stepping down or you're staying the same. I kind of think about it as like walking up and down stairs. You only want to take one step at a time usually. Sometimes you may want to like, skip a step go up two steps instead of one but typically like i put here the the more steps you skip in the scale at a time the wonkier it's going to sound and sometimes you want that that feeling or want that um uh, that way for your music but typically for songs you just want it to flow evenly and also i didn't mention about rest but that's another option you when you're not playing notes, you're resting, you can have quarter rest and half rest and things like that. So that can add a lot to your music as well. Sometimes like saying nothing is better than saying something. I guess they say, uh, my, I'm a note picker. I like pick, putting, uh, notes down. Like when you saw me playing the guitar, uh, I like picking notes, uh, But typically, when you learn to play the guitar or piano, you learn chords, which are like three, I believe, three notes at a time. I'm really not a chord guy. But chords can give your music more of a full sounding, like a more orchestral feel.
0: Yeah, you're not trying to pick out Single notes every beat. You're you're changing notes maybe once every four beats or something like that.
1: Yeah. So so with the chords, you just strum all the all the strings right. Or
0: yes, yeah. I, you well. So what you can do is if you're playing guitar, if you do like finger picking and stuff, you mm-hmm. can play. I think it's called arpeggio, where basically you're playing each yeah. note in the chord. You know,
1: but. yeah, I've I've heard of arpeggios a long, long time ago, Um <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I've never had like any formal instructions on on guitar. So I was like, well, I, I played the tram- trombone in school, so I can pick out a C and this. So I kind of taught myself that way. But yeah, I don't know anything about chords. But
0: um yeah, I, I, I wasn't. I, I haven't been trained either. It's just like learning to play. That's the direction I went. And, and it probably comes from the fact that I wasn't in band like you were. Yeah, I feel like everyone who was in band goes goes for individual notes because that's what they're used to.
1: Yeah, because well, well, Dylan, I remember in some of your earlier games you played... Uh, what instrument did you play for that? Um, I think it was like your Shifty Shapes game.
0: Mostly guitar. I've actually got... like I've got a guitar, I've got a mandolin, uh, and... I know a handful of chords on mandolin and, and that sort of thing.
1: It might have been the mandolin I think you're using uh, because I remember it's a little bit higher pitched than a regular guitar. I think.
0: Yes, yes. That's actually, in some ways, that's easier to play because it's essentially four notes, four strings instead of six.
1: Yeah, I've always wanted to, like get a banjo. I, I like instruments. I just never really like.
0: I do have... I actually did buy a banjo as well. I'm not good at it. It's so much weirder than the other two to play. Although, the interesting thing is it is tuned to G. If you don't hold any notes down and you strum Uh-oh. it, you get a G. So yeah. all you have to do is, like, you can literally just move up the neck. But it's it's more... It's actually feels like it's built more... Like, the, the instructional books you get suggest you play individual notes... Oh, okay. Whereas some of the chords, are just really tough for me to do.
1: Yeah, I really like instruments. Uh, I've seen some like videos on the internet. It's like, oh, here's a fifty dollar flute that you can get on Amazon or something, and here's like a two thousand dollar flute, and they'll play the same fl- two different flutes. I was like, well, I really don't hear a difference. I, I kind of just want something cheap to just learn how to play. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's that's essentially what I did with the mandolin. I think I got that on a Black Friday sale from, like, Guitar Center for $40. So that's kind of the way I approach stuff like that is buy something cheap, see if you actually stick with it, and then if you do, then invest.
1: If you want to become a professional in that instrument, then...
0: I feel like learning to play instruments when I did, I'm... Never going to become a professional, so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. But uh, yeah, that, that's like this harmonica that I got. I mean, it's like six bucks at Cracker Barrel, yeah. and it, it plays all the. No- well, yeah, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, it, it doesn't play flats or sharps, but it plays all the notes that you need to play to play a song. And
0: yeah, if you were going to do that professionally, you'd buy like I'm going to buy my here's my harmonica in the key of C. Here's my D key harmonica. Here's my G key.
1: Exactly. You know. And it probably has a lot better tone quality too. But yeah, uh, but yeah, that trombone—it was like a thousand bucks back in like ni- late nineties. They're probably a lot more expensive now, I guess, because of the metal they're made out of and everything.
0: Oh yeah, and just like you know, that's going into band is an investment.
1: Yeah, yeah, because they had like the cheap ones that you could use, but it's like the the horns that everybody has been using for like the last... <laughs> you don't know who's used it before you. So yeah. Like, yeah, I kind of want to invest in my own if I wanted to be doing this for like four years. Yeah. Hey, okay. I
0: didn't mean to derail.
1: Oh, no, you're fine. Sure. Um. Okay. So I'm not a note picker. Okay, so once you have your melody, what I do... Mm-hmm. It's like if I have my Mary Had a Little Lamb, then I'll copy those notes and then I'll paste them sometimes as a different instrument. So you got like the two or three different instruments playing the same little melody. Sometimes you can take those same notes and just pull them up and make them a little bit higher and that gives your music a little bit different feeling. And then I have like the what I call the dueling banjo method, which is kind of like what I was talking about. You take the same the same melody, put it in two different instruments, but then you can take that melody and paste it in both instruments and then start deleting individual notes from each side. So you have kind of like these two instruments talking with each other, like filling out what the other one isn't playing. And so looking at music, typically I've noticed when music is written on a certain scale, then it either starts or stops on that note in the scale. I think that's just a general general convention. Uh, and also, a lot of times you wanna have background tracks to make your music have more of a full sound. Uh, your background track is generally going to have uh, longer notes and generally your bass, your lower notes. Um, what I try to do is in these long notes, I always try to match the pitch of uh, that note that it, that it starts on with the pitch and the melody. So you kind of have this uh, uh, where the two notes come together, basically, and it makes it sound a lot better. And as I mentioned earlier, you can generate uh, drum tracks in GarageBand. One trick that I do for all... Pretty much all of my game jam games is for the title screen. I'll basically take the melody, the song, in the game, the main while the main game is playing, and duplicate that. Then I'll take out like a, all the extra instruments, just like have only one melody. Then I'll slow that down considerably, uh, and maybe even take out like the background tracks and. That will make your title screen sound, it'll have the same like theme and feel, uh, but just at a lot slower pace, a lot slower tempo. So once you start playing the game, you kind of hear the same thing, but it's like a lot faster, a lot faster tempo, which is good for a game that's that's kind of fast paced and action and things like that. Okay, so let me go ahead and start up Unity before I start talking about this. Unity. I'm find it right there. So in Unity, if you want to, once you have your MP3 file, I think it does augs too, I'm not positive about that. I know it does waves. Uh, what you want to do is drag that into your assets. I usually create a new folder called audio, and typically in audio I have two more folders, one for specifically for music and one for sound effects. So you wanna drag in your MP3 file into there, and then you wanna create a game object. I usually just call mine music. And then you want to drag your audio resource on top of your music game object. And typically, most of the settings are good. I remember in old versions of Unity, you had to change the the spatial blend from 3D to 2D. Otherwise, if your game object isn't at the right location, then you won't hear it, Uh, which is good for some applications, but not for background music. But now, by default, it sets the spatial blend to 2D. The one thing that you want to do by default it has play on await, check. So make sure that's checked, considering that you want your music to start when your game starts when your scene starts. But you also want to check loop. Otherwise, your music will only play one time and then stop. Uh, Another thing that I usually got to look out for is when I've exported a track in um to a audio file then sometimes there's a little bit of empty emptiness uh no sound playing at the end so sometimes i got to pull in my audio file into audacity chop off that no sound part at the end uh and then export it back out so that way whenever the music stops it'll immediately start looping back at the beginning but here here's the audio file dragged on my Music object right there. So when you press play, then then I'll start playing playing your background music right there. Okay, yeah, that's all I had to show for that. Um, oops. Yep. So in Game Maker, it's a little bit different. In Game Maker, you have sound objects. So you basically go under your resources, right click, I believe it's right click under sounds, create a new sound. Uh, then you use the little triple dots over here to load in your MP3 file or WAV file. And I think it's usually pretty good to go. There's all, a bunch of different options if you want it for mono or stereo or change the bit rate, sample rate and all that. I usually just leave that, what the, take the defaults, Then you go under objects and you create a new object for music. And then under the GML scripts, you want to create a new script uh, using the create, on the create action. And you're gonna use the function audio, underscore play, underscore sound. Then pass it the name of the, oops, name of the sound file uh, that you just created. Then there's a priority. I usually just leave that set to one. And then I believe this final value is for looping. So you want that set to true. It is important to stop any other music that's playing. So if you go from one room to the next room, if you don't call audio stop all, then say you're going from your title screen to your main game screen, then that title music will continue to play into your main game. And then, if you have your game music playing, then you'll have two music files playing at the same time. So it's important to call audio stop all. Um, yeah, so that's basically it. I'm not going to open Game Maker, but if anybody's interested in that, I do have a Game Maker project file with all that. Let's see if I had, it seems like I had something else loaded up here.
0: It also occurred to me once you get done, it, you were asking about the instruments I, w- I was using. I, I've got them right over here if you want me to. Oh, okay, to awesome. Yeah, show of them off. What I was going to say is, I, c- I can show you some of those instruments you were asking about and kind of, again, kind of a uh, uh, layman's intro. One, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I also play a little guitar, but that was one of those things I invested in. Um getting a decent one. So this is... My- oh, go ahead. Nah, what were you gonna... Oh. The- so...
1: Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> I had my mic muted, then I unmuted. Yeah, I was just gonna say, the chords, like, take... like, pressing, like, two or three frets at the same time, right? Right.
0: So, actually, the way chords work, uh, like, you were talking about scales, a major chord is the first, third, and the fifth. Okay. And then a minor chord is like a first, flattened third, and then the fifth, and, and like sevenths. And there's way to, ways to calculate these. Um, it actually kind of helps to know that a little bit, but it doesn't matter um, that much if you're just, like I said, just strumming chords. Um, so, all right, this is a, a mandolin. It has four courses of eight strings that are tuned to G, D, A, E, which is tuned like a violin. The nice thing about this, so the nice thing about this is there's a lot of chords that you can do with just two fingers, so C, G, D, E minor, and one of the the nice things about chords, you can do a lot with just three or four chords. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing I'll mention about mandolin—I think I did this when uh, I with with some of the music I did—is the the two courses of each string make make it really easy to do tremolo. And also, if you're playing chords, one things that one things one thing that it helps to have is a capo. A capo?
1: I've never heard of that.
0: A capo. All right, so. And this this will work for guitar or anything else. So, for example, right there I played a C. Um, I can put the capo on my first fret Mm -hmm. and play the same shape of chord, and now it's a D, and that sounded a little off. Oh, cool. So it's kind of like you're holding
1: all of those strings on the first chord or sorry
0: sorry i i should say i played a c sharp not a d but you know then if i go up the next fret then it's a d and that also helps that you don't have to know like a ton of chords like there are some chords especially on guitar that i'm really bad at like bar chords and i can just capo around them um The other thing we're talking about is, like, banjos. Oh, cool. So this is a a five-string, and I got this just to try it out. I want one. (laughs) It's, so, like, it is way out of tune because I haven't touched this in a while. So some of the, so, let me look this up. Okay, it's tuned to G, D, G, B, D. So if I strum it, that's a G. A, or G sharp, A, A sharp, B, C. All I have to do is, um, but yeah, it's mostly uh, like your like there's a lot of, of different patterns for picking.
1: So you can either pick or or strum it. That's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Like it's more suited for picking. You'll you'll like what you think of as a typical banjo sound is like a very particular strum pattern. Mm-hmm. Anyway, very cool.
1: Yeah, I know we have like a cider town music off of Clinton Highway, kind of close to where I live. I think they have a lot of like more tr-
0: folk style
1: traditional instruments.
0: Yeah, I've actually I've heard of the place. I've never actually been out there. I've driven by there um, plenty of times. I've just never been in. But yeah, and and like I said, if you you can buy cheap ones, if you find like you're you're still gonna pay like fifty hundred dollars, but it's not like oh that's the, not bad.
1: Yeah, you know. I'm just not wanting to get it, like, yeah, over, if we're talking over a thousand, then it's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a, I think there are a lot of options depending on, you know, if you actually want, like, solid wood or, or you know, whatever.
1: Very cool. Um, let's see if I can go back to, oh, <laughs> yeah, I lost everything here. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think it's in my notes. Let me bring up Notepad here. Uh, go ahead and share. Hopefully, power doesn't go out again. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, the wind keeps blowing out there. Okay, so whenever you install a new version of Unity, um, it gives you a certain set of template files. So whenever you create a script in Unity. Then, and you open it up in Visual Studio or whatever, um, it's going to give you like your standard imports, like using Unity Engine, uh, your start method, and your update method. So, there's this particular folder, like if you go into Program Files, Unity Editor Data, Resources, Script Templates, you can open up New Behavior Script. Do- oh. Open it up in something that I can read it in.
0: That actually handles like new lines correctly. Yeah. So, okay. So I
1: modified this one. So before, I believe this was kind of like the format it always used, but in in the new versions of. Uh Unity, they started putting the open brace on a new line, which I can't stand. It's just me. I mean, there's okay. there's, there's been holy wars about this. So I was like, okay, well, at least now I have a way to put the brace back up on the same line whenever I create a new script. The only problem is every time a new version of Unity gets released, it reverts back to the old style. So you just got to go in this folder. But I, I thought it was pretty cool that you can go into this directory. And there's all sorts of different... Uh, Templates, but the one that typically you're going to be working with is this new behavior script. So one other good thing for this is like hey if I want to put like Comment 2019 Levi D Smith. So every time I create a script it has my Name in here. I just save that and just to prove this it's going to take a second for unity come back up unity Whenever you create a new script, it should have that they're uh, already filled in for you.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this is. Do you use Visual Studio or what? I, yeah, I use,
1: or, it. I use Visual Studio.
0: Okay, I've, I've started using Visual Studio Code. Um, oh, okay. A little more. One nice thing there's an, and this probably exists for Visual Studio too. There's an extension called Prettier. Pretty oh, okay you can define rules for Mm -hmm. um, that will like, if you, if you want that brace to be on the same line as your opening function, you can define rules. And whenever you save the file, it'll just go through and put it up there. Oh,
1: I didn't know that. Um, I know to Amos's talk, he was talking about visual studio code. It, It isn't hard to like change your editor in unity. I think it's just, Uh, No, right there is an option. I've heard a lot of people talk about Visual Studio Code. I just haven't jumped on the bandwagon. I guess
0: it's a little more lightweight. I guess like that's why I started using it. Um, If I'm doing actual like .NET web or desktop development, like .NET framework, Mm -hmm. I would typically prefer to use um, Visual Studio. That kind of takes care of a bunch of stuff magically in the background. Visual Studio Code is a little bit better if you're doing something like Unity where you're not running directly from, from the IDE, or if you're doing like, um, like .NET Core or Node development that doesn't really depend on, you know, you're, you're doing more stuff from the command line than you are from a GUI. Yeah, I wonder if it handles the NuGet
1: stuff, like if you're importing a package or something. There's probably...
0: not actually looked at that. Like, I've never actually used it for... Oh, you mean, like, in Unity?
1: Well, yeah, so, like, if I want to use a, a NuGet package, usually I go into my script, and then that will open Visual Studio up, and then I can go in there and import whatever dll's that i need so i'm wondering if uh visual studio code would handle that or if that's built into visual studio code i
0: don't know i've Um, never like i haven't used nuget with it
1: yeah yeah that's something i can look into yeah i can't remember where the setting is editor unity remote version unity has like oh
0: it's you're in project settings go to it's, it might be under Edit, um, Preferences.
1: Preferen, yeah, I always get Preferences and Project Settings mixed up. Yeah,
0: so it's going to be under External Tools, I think. Oh, uh, there you go. So you can
1: just change Visual Studio to... Yeah, whatever. you'll have to
0: browse for it wherever it's installed.
1: Then just find the Visual Studio Code exe or something. And yeah, it and it,
0: it knows what it is.
1: 'cause I've actually changed this to uh, like notepad++ plus plus, plus uh notepad++ plus, plus or vim before and it seems to work fine. Yeah, you just got to find let let me see here just to prove this works. Um, notepad um, program files, it may be under program files 32 or x86. Oh, notepad++, there's the exe. So close that. Oh, yeah, there we go. So it automatically fills this parameters in for you right there. So I want to go and create a C-sharp script. Just call it hello. And if I double-click this, Boy, that one's blending, I'm blowing out there. Okay, so yeah, it opened up in Notepad++, and it has my 2019 Levi D. Smith there. But like I said, the problem is, like yeah, every time you install a new version of Unity, then that gets erased and you have to reset it. So I guess you could write a little script that automatically resets it every time. I don't know. Um, but yeah, see if I can change this back to Visual Studio. Then close that. No, I should be able to just double click on that. Now it's opening up in Visual Studio. So, yeah, a little tip out there if anybody (laughs) wonders how to change your editor in in Unity. Okay, I guess that's going to wrap it up. Dylan, did you have anything else you wanted to share? Yeah, I think I'm good. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out today and, uh, yeah, visit Dylan. He's Dylan on the web and Dylan Wolf on Twitter and social media. I'm LeviDSmith.com, uh, G a tech gap grad on social media Twitter everywhere else. Uh, check out Knox website for all our latest events. Remember, um, uh, Ludum Dari kickoff is coming up at the end of the month for anyone out there who wants to join us for that and you can listen to the audio of this meeting on iTunes and Stitcher and Pocket Cast and Overcast and a lot of other places and you can find the video on YouTube and leave that in and that's it so thanks everyone for watching and we'll be back in a month